This is part four now in our focus on Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now, now as opposed to at that time, now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, all of this five-fold description of their hopelessness is what he means by far off. You were far off from God and far off from hope and far off from promises. You who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's my question for this time. When he says, remember that, why didn't he just pick it up right here? What's the point of that? Why not just say, therefore, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth. What's the point of these words here? Father, as we try to understand this, what appears to be a pretty derogatory description of the Gentile believers by another group of, perhaps, professing believers, show us what the great picture of your salvation is behind this this derogatory comment and why Paul deals with it and how he deals with it. I ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision. So, What's behind this, evidently, is that this this group here, the circumcision group, the true blue Pharisees, the the, uh, circumcision party, the ones who believed circumcision was absolutely crucial, were labeling these Gentile converts as the uncircumcised, with perhaps some pretty serious implications that they better get circumcised or they're not going to be able to be Christians. So let's back up and get um, a biblical, uh, wide-lens view of what in the world is going on with this circumcision idea. Let's go back to the beginning of circumcision. This is chapter 17, where the covenant made with Abraham is made. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, people. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout all their generations, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male 
among you shall be circumcised. So there it is. This is the inauguration of the uh, millennia-long tradition among the Jewish people of circumcising their little boy, baby boys when they're eight days old. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So, circumcision is a sign that God has committed himself to be the God of Israel. Massive. To have God as your God is to have salvation, ultimately. If you are faithful to him and he is faithful to you in covenant, you will be with him forever. Now, here's a question. Why was the sign that God chose, the sign of cutting off the foreskin of the male sexual organ? You don't hear too many people asking that question. Why circumcision? Here's my suggestion. And I don't have any final word on this. I'm just suggesting that the focus in the establishment of the covenant is a multitude of nations is coming from you. A multitude of nations is coming from you. Generations will come. Offspring will come. Offspring will come. Offspring will come. How does offspring happen? It happens by sexual intercourse. It happens by this male sexual organ doing what it was designed to do. So maybe you put the sign on the male sexual organ to signify that it is holy to the Lord. I am going to be faithful to generation after generation after generation as you are faithful to me. I will work in you the faithfulness and bring all your offspring to me in the end. Something like that. And I put the sign at the very point where the generations are brought about. Now, here's the problem that's behind Ephesians 1, or 2, 11. Way back in Acts 1, 2, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised in the custom of Moses, you, Moses wrote that book of Genesis, you cannot be saved. There's the problem. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension with them. That was not Paul's view. What was Paul's view? Paul's view was right here. This is the most important passage when it comes to understanding how Paul understood circumcision. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He's referring to chapter 15, verse 6, where God reckoned his faith to him as righteousness. So, two chapters before chapter 17 of Genesis, Abraham had already been declared righteous. So, circumcision didn't save him. Circumcision didn't make him righteous before God. The purpose of God putting circumcision after declaring him righteous by faith was this. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That's the reason God did it in the order he did it, so that he would be the father of Gentiles. Now, we're going to be learning how, in the book of Ephesians, how that comes about. How did Gentiles become 
children of Abraham. He's going to be the father of people who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness could be counted, so that righteousness could be counted to them as well, Gentiles. And secondly, to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the steps of footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham. So not only will Gentiles be included in the children of Abraham, but some of those who are of his seed will not be included because they don't have this faith. So in Paul's view, circumcision is not the way one gets right with God. That happened to Abraham earlier. It is a sign of having been made right with God. So now let's go back. What's going on here when he says uh, in 2.11, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the called circumcision. So evidently what's behind this is this group, maybe the same group as Acts 15.1, or at least a similar group says, look, these guys are not finished. They've got to have circumcision in order to be saved. So it's a derogatory comment. They are called uncircumcision by these circumcised people. Now, Paul knows that has happened to these Gentile converts. How do they feel about that? Do they feel like second-class citizens in the body of Christ, where Jews are the real deal, and the Gentiles who come along and aren't circumcised and Paul doesn't require it of them, are not the real deal. They are half-baked Christians, second-class Christians. Is that the situation? And Paul could have just ignored the whole thing, right? He didn't. He could have gone from remember to this. But he instead, Paul deals with it head-on. And he said, look, I know that this is what they're calling you. And then he turns it on its head. He fixes it. How does he fix it? He says, look, You are Gentiles in the flesh, meaning your true identity is not going to be by circumcision or by any ethnicity that you have. Your true true identity is not going to be in the flesh. That's the first thing he does. And then he turns tables and said, look, these circumcised folks, they're just called circumcision. Hmm. So they called them the uncircumcision. Now, Paul's calling them the circumcision, and then he says they're only called circumcised because their circumcision is made with hands in the flesh by hands. That's not enough. What what do they need? They need this, Colossians 2.11. In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he's picturing picturing conversion as we throw off our old nature and our old person and put on Christ and are saved. He's picturing that as circumcision made without hands. Here's what rescues these Gentiles from the derogatory comment. Romans 2.28, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Remember, he called them 
made in the flesh by hand. That's all they have. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew, a true Jew, is one inwardly, like Jesus said, outwardly you're whitewashed tombs and inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. Inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. So, the point is that these Gentiles here are the true Jews, if they have the faith of Abraham. And these circumcised people here are not truly circumcised, and they're not true Jews unless they have the faith of Abraham. And that notion that Jewishness, true Jewishness, is not a mere matter of outward circumcision, is not made up by Paul. Just give you one more text. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Paul is continuing an Old Testament prophecy and tradition. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. All the way back in Deuteronomy. He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. There's the first and great commandment, and it doesn't happen by being circumcised in the flesh. It happens by being circumcised in the heart. The old callous heart has to be cut away, and the living heart has to be put in. You will love God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. So why did Paul then include this One time, you Gentiles, you Gentiles in the flesh, but that's not your true identity. But I I realize that you're being derogatorily called the uncircumcision. I know that's happening to you, and I want to set this straight, that that's not a problem for you. That's not your identity. Those who are calling you that are themselves merely called circumcision because their circumcision is merely in the flesh, and it's made by hands, and that's not the way you get into the people of God. Both Jews and Gentiles get in through believing in Messiah Jesus. So, in this text, he is rescuing them from an insult, and he's preparing them for the magnificence of the bigger view of salvation than they ever dreamed they could have because they're going to belong to Israel.